If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. It's Tuesday, February 11, 2020. I'm Gail King with Anthony Mason and Tony DeCoples in New Hampshire. This is CBS This Morning, News on the Go. This is a crucial day for nearly all of the Democratic presidential hopefuls. New Hampshire is holding its traditional primary contest that gives some candidates a boost and forces others out of the race. Tony DeCoples is at Cafe La Reine in Manchester, New Hampshire's largest city. Tony, how's it looking? Uh, looking pretty good so far, Anthony. Good morning, guys. They call it Cafe Lorraine. It means the queen, and Manchester is the queen city because it is the largest but not the capital. But this is the capital of politics in America today. It's basically a two-step process. People line up for coffee at places like this, and then they're going to be lining up at polling stations all around the state. In fact, the first voters have already begun to line up, and the first votes are in in this First in the Nation contest. They were counted just after midnight. Five people in the tiny town of Dixville Notch and three of them wrote in Mike Bloomberg's name. That's some breaking news for you. The former New York City mayor isn't on the ballot here at all, which is why he was a write-in. Dixville Knox was one of three towns to open their polls at midnight, and their combined results show, here's another surprise, Amy Klobuchar. She has been surging, and she's leading the Democratic primary so far. Important words there, so far. All of the candidates have made their final appeals to voters all across the state. Yesterday, they were crisscrossing it. But Democrats were not the only ones making a pitch. President Trump was here. He held a major rally in Manchester, this very city, last night. And he promised his supporters here that he will win New Hampshire in a landslide. His words come November. Today's primary is getting extra attention after the, the disaster at the Iowa caucuses. But New Hampshire's Secretary of State, Bill Gardner, he told us he slept well last night, and today's voting will be simple and secure. You're saying it's not broke and you're not fixing it. It just works. Keep it simple. Keep the moving parts the smallest number you can. Could this be hacked in any way? You can't hack a pencil. How many apps do you have involved in this process? We don't have any apps involved in any of the tabulating of the counting. No apps. No apps. It's an app-free election. You can guarantee that. Yes. Free, fair, and app-free. That's the guarantee from the Secretary of State here. Ed O'Keefe, by the way, has been in New Hampshire covering the race for the past week, and he's at a polling station in Bedford that's just outside of where I am in Manchester. Ed, good morning. What can we expect to see in the primary today? Well, as Secretary Gardner told you, we would expect results faster than we did in Iowa. And God bless them, hundreds of people already here in line. They vote for sport here in New Hampshire. But only about 39% of voters tell us they've actually made up their minds. So many of these people may have shown up undecided this morning. If turnout is big, that likely benefits Senator Bernie Sanders, given that he has the largest base of support. But don't be surprised if it also helps Mayor Buttigieg, who, of course, came out of Iowa with a win, or even Senator Klobuchar, who you mentioned, has had a good few days. 
Let's win this thing. Let's transform America. New Hampshire, I believe you will help make me the next president of the United States. New Hampshire's top two candidates pulled in some high-profile surrogates for last-minute help. The Strokes and Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez rallied for Senator Bernie Sanders. In every poll, Bernie beats Trump. While Kevin Costner offered his support to former Mayor Pete Buttigieg. But throughout the day, both Buttigieg and Sanders kept attacking each other. Picture where your only choices are between a revolution or the status quo is a picture where most of us don't see ourselves. My friend Mr. Buttigieg and my friend Joe Biden, they have dozens and dozens of billionaires contributing to their campaign. New Hampshire primaries are open to independent voters who account for roughly four in ten ballots cast. And many voters this year say it's been hard to make a choice. We're down to, you know, maybe a half a dozen people who seriously have a shot at it. It's working. It's working. It's messy, but hey, nobody ever said politics was neat. In their urgent play to meet as many of those undecided voters as possible, candidates added extra events throughout the day. What's your plan today? Oh, uh, go and made their final pitches. I know some people say experience doesn't matter. Well, I think it does. It's the reason why I'm running. After the debacle in Iowa, some candidates say they would have spent more resources in New Hampshire. Well, certainly I think if you had a crystal ball and perfect information, given what happened in Iowa, you probably would uh, invest differently. But the surprise contender of the last 48 hours, who's surging in some polls to third place, is Senator Amy Klobuchar. Some people are calling this Clomentum. <laughs> We're saying that you are now Clobacharged going oh, yeah. into... Those are lovely names. Um, I don't care just so they vote for me. A reminder that today is all about delegates. Eventually, a candidate needs 1,990 of them, at least, to win the Democratic nomination. Tonight, New Hampshire awards 24 of its delegates. Ultimately, it has 33 to the convention. And a candidate needs to win at least 15% of the vote to win a delegate. Tony? And Ed, every delegate counts. That's why they're crisscrossing this state. Thank you very much. Who also was in this state? President Trump at a rally here in Manchester last night. The president suggested that onophilia, that is undeclared voters, might try to sabotage his opponents. So I hear a lot of Republicans tomorrow will vote for the weakest candidate possible of the Democrats. Does that make sense? You people wouldn't do that. My only problem is I'm trying to figure out who is their weakest candidate. I think they're all weak. Second Amendment. We were at that rally last night talking to die-hard Trump voters who credit the president for the successful economy. I also had the opportunity to ask campaign press secretary Kayleigh McEnany about why the president is so confident that he's going to win here in November. So, Kaylee, how important is New Hampshire to the Trump re-election campaign? Well, New Hampshire shows we're on the offense. Look, it's a state that we narrowly lost in 2016. We're going to win New Hampshire this time, not just New Hampshire. We're looking to win New Mexico. We're looking to win Minnesota. Uh, we're going to make this map even redder in 2020 than it was in 2016. Chief Washington correspondent Major Garrett is here with CBS News special correspondent Alex Wagner, who's also co-host of The Circus on Showtime, a division of Viacom CBS. Good morning to Good you morning. Both. Good morning, Tony. I know at least you were at that rally yes, as well and last thousands night. of others. And thousands of others. <laughs> Here's, here's a problem for President Trump. Those are the diehards. Sure, of if you walked and talked to those voters, many of them are out in 2016, but he's yeah. got to expand the electorate in 2020 to win again. So he lost here by about 2,800 votes. 
and made a reckless charge last night that there was some vote fraud there. New Hampshire has thoroughly investigated that up one side, down the other, a completely false allegation, laying it out there as part of this Trumpian idea that it was a close loss, but somebody did something wrong to me, completely factually incorrect. And yet, the president keeps going back to that here, insulting essentially the whole entire New Hampshire electoral process and the investigations into allegations of voter How fraud. How important does that suggest this state is to him winning in 2020? It sticks in his craw that he lost narrowly. He wants to win again, but look at 2018. Democrats gained across the state, county, local, state, and federal offices. So there's a lot of enthusiasm yeah. here. The president's trying to counter-program his way around that if he can. Alex, you've had uh, a, an opportunity to look up close at some of that enthusiasm yeah. as you crisscross the state with uh, Democrats looking to replace President Trump. Sanders and Buttigieg leading in the polls. Who's got the edge? For the last couple of days, Pete Buttigieg and his campaign have been sort of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Amy Klobuchar talking about crowd size. I have 1,800, you have 1,100. Last night, Bernie Sanders held a rally in Durham, New Hampshire, and there were 7,500 people in the audience, Tony. Wow. It is, you cannot... To be fair, there was live music. There was live music, but I spent a lot of time on that line talking to the people who were going in there, and they were interested in Bernie Sanders. It was not about the strokes, it was not about AOC, it was about Bernie Sanders. And it is an indicator of the depth of the support he has and the emotional there is an emotional core to to the Sanders supporters that does not exist anywhere else in this democratic primary. New Hampshire has a reputation for leveling front runners mm -hmm. but also potentially elevating underdogs and I, I want to get a question about Amy Klobuchar cuz she seems to be rising in the polls. She What's does. Behind that? Listen, I think Joe Biden's decline is also related to Amy Klobuchar's ascent, but I spent time with Amy Klobuchar. She works harder than almost anybody in this race, which is saying a lot cuz everybody's working really hard. A lot of her campaign is propelled by the candidate own momentum and her ability to just press the flesh and connect with voters on a really intimate level. And had two great nights here. Yeah. Friday night at the debate, Saturday night at the big dinner that they had at the main arena where Trump was last night. There's a slingshot effect that sometimes happens in New Hampshire. Someone has a really great bit of momentum that's surprising and boom, they run to the top or get near the top. I think she's in a strong position to finish third. And if it's a close, close third, like right behind Bernie and Pete, that will be a big news story, and it will be a deep disappointment to Elizabeth Warren, who yes. spent months and months and months organizing here. It could fastidiously, and that organization may not be enough to that help That is her. a huge storyline. The loser of this is a big storyline coming Could, out. Thank you both very much. And that is indeed a very big storyline, because as we send it back to you guys in New York, it's important to remember that no major party nominee has ever gone on out of New Hampshire without finishing in the top two. So people in three and four, their campaigns, historically speaking, may be over. Yeah, we're looking for that slingshot effect. Thanks, yeah. Tony. Thanks. All right, breaking overnight, the CDC is confirming a 13th case of coronavirus in the U.S., this time in San Diego. The patient was on a government-chartered flight last week from Wuhan, the Chinese city at the center of the outbreak. Today, China announced the single-day death toll from the virus exceeded 100 for the first time. The number of deaths worldwide is more than 1,000. Carter Evans is outside March Air Reserve Base in California where the first Americans to arrive from Wuhan are set to be released from quarantine. Carter, what do we know about this new case? Well, that new case, that patient from San Diego, was initially mistakenly released from isolation back into quarantine after testing negative for the virus. Well, they're back in the hospital now, said to be doing well. As for those 195 passengers who landed here last month at March Air Force Base, they're ready to go home today after passing one final health check. The confidence level from the CDC is that none of us have got it.
Ian Thompson is ready to get back home to his family in Detroit. It's been two weeks since he landed back in the U.S. from the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak. We get a, a document signed by the CDC tomorrow. It's part of the process of going out, and that's given to us, so it shows that we're, you know, we can show that to anybody, and that's our, you know, we, we do not have the virus. But not everyone who flew back from Wuhan was so lucky. Yesterday, the 13th case of coronavirus was confirmed in San Diego, a patient who arrived on a U.S. chartered flight last week. But President Trump remains confident the U.S. has a handle on it. And I think it's going to all work out fine. Rough stuff, I tell you, rough, rough stuff. But I think it's going to work out good. Around the world, fears of transmitting the coronavirus are growing by the day. In Beijing, an eerie emptiness set in during the morning rush hour. Officials there ordered citizens coming back from the epidemic zones to quarantine themselves for at least two weeks. In Hong Kong, authorities evacuated a residential high-rise after two tenants who live on different floors contracted the virus. Thousands of others remain quarantined on military bases. It's good to have a break. Fresh air is really fresh now. And on cruise ships like the Diamond Princess docked in Japan, which has been on lockdown for a week. The World Health Organization is now on the ground in China. It will assemble a team of global scientists this week in an effort to speed up the development of treatments and vaccines. We may see numbers like in any epidemic go up and down in, in, in coming days. What really is important rather than uh, making predictions is really to work hard uh, to try to get solutions. The CDC is still testing nearly 70 people here in the U.S. who are suspected of having the virus. That includes another person in San Diego who was on that flight from Wuhan who is now exhibiting symptoms. Gail? Very scary stuff. Thank you very much, Carter. China's government may have the personal information of nearly half of all Americans. Think about that for a second. According to the Justice Department, four members of the country's military are charged with allegedly stealing information from about 145 million people in this country in a 2017 breach of the credit monitoring firm Equifax. Now, China denies all of these charges. Our consumer investigative correspondent, that's Anna Warner, is here. Anna, good morning to you. How in the world did this happen? Great question, Gail. Good morning. Investigators say the hackers had access to Equifax's computer systems for months, stealing millions of Americans' personal information. Until now, it wasn't clear who might have stolen the data, and it still isn't clear what it might be used for. This was one of the largest data breaches in history. Attorney General William Barr says four Chinese military hackers are charged with computer fraud, economic espionage, and wire fraud for allegedly hacking Equifax's computer systems in 2017. According to the indictment, the hackers obtained the names, birthdates, and social security numbers of nearly 150 million Americans. They also targeted people's driver's license and credit card numbers. Our cases reveal a pattern of state-sponsored computer intrusions and thefts by China targeting trade secrets and confidential business information. The DOJ says there isn't evidence that the information stolen from Equifax is being used at this time. But Alan Butler with the Electronic Privacy Information Center says that might not be the case for long. There's no assurance that uh, the use of this data is going to be you know, limited to the Chinese military. It very well could end up on the black market. He notes the problems at Equifax occurred after the company failed to patch a known vulnerability in a software program, a vulnerability the hackers exploited. Companies are collecting far too much data. Uh, they're not storing it securely. 
Uh, and frankly, we don't have a legal regime in, in the United States that addresses the types and vast quantities of data that, that these companies are collecting. In a statement, Equifax said over the past two years, they've made significant progress and investments to protect the data entrusted to us. Now, the Justice Department says 80 percent of its economic espionage prosecutions have implicated the Chinese government. As always, experts recommend that you, consumers, all of us, freeze and uh, monitor your credits. Uh, you've got to freeze those three yeah, accounts with it. It's an ongoing question how to keep your information yeah, safe. It really still is. don't have the answer. All right. It's tough. Yeah, Anna, thank thanks. Thank you for listening to the CBS This Morning podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get daily podcast originals. You can watch the CBS This Morning broadcast Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on your local CBS station or live on the CBS All Access app. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Divya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast. And to ask Jeff some questions, because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with my producer, Becca. Becca, what's what's up? So The Late Show Pod Show is everything you love about The Late Show on oh, a I podcast. Want, I want to know about you. Oh. Enough. We, 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 people see everybody in an ad talks about the thing they're trying to sell. Oh. I'd like to know about you, the person behind creating the podcast. Oh, I'm having a really good day. Barry baked some bread and my friend Kara got me some chicken salad. It's a really nice day in the office today. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.